You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on a Monday. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here, James Mesh in the booth. Together we make up Miguez and Mesh. Glad we got that out of the way. Hope everybody had a great weekend. James, buddy, what's going on, man? How are you? Thank you for clearing that up because... I would have had yeah, no idea. You know, some some people have questioned it. So I just, you know, because some people look at me and go, oh, the mesh part is Miguez eats a donut. So I just, <laughs> you know, just had to clarify that, yes, I do like donuts, but that's not what's going on here. There actually is a, a James Mesh who is who is an integral part of this show. So, James, how was your weekend, buddy? It wasn't bad. How about you? It was good. It was good. Uh, it was very... Was very laid back, uh, which was which was nice. Spent some time with the family. Slept a lot. It was not bad. Um, I'm I'm just. It, it hit me yesterday afternoon, thinking about it. This was the last weekend without football, until February. Now that is a beautiful. Beautiful thought. It is time. Not to mention, so football starts, and then end of October, beginning of November, here comes basketball and playoff baseball and hockey. And by that point, we're, we're going to struggle to touch on everything in a two-hour show. I mean, that's the best time of year, right? There's never nothing to talk about in, in in the late fall, early winter time span. But we got a lot to get to today. You know, Saints training camp, Tigers and Cajuns, fall camps are in full swing. And then there's some drama in the NBA in a couple of different areas. So let's start with the top story. James and I will will have a, a discussion about this. Kevin Durant had a meeting with the Brooklyn Nets owner, Joe Sy, in London. And according to multiple sources, the conversation was very professional, very constructive, but the message was clear. Kevin Durant is saying to either trade him or fire both general manager Sean Marks and head coach Steve Nash. So clearly, the relationship between star player, coach, and GM, not great. There's there's not a great relationship there. If there even is one. There, There might not be. But if you're Joe Sy, I don't care who it is. It's going to be a hell of a lot easier to ship off Kevin Durant 
than it's going to be to try to replace your GM and head coach. Right? I actually lean the other way. I think it's easy to just find another coach. I mean, there's plenty out there. It's hard to replicate a talent like Kevin Durant. You can always get another GM. There, but he's there's always 34. a bunch. I know, but you still got some years left in him. You're and whatever you whatever so, you whatever you trade for, more likely to not, unless you just get an absolute haul, it, it's not exactly gonna equivalent to just the lone standabout scoring and player that Kevin Durant is, and, even and, at thirty four, and maybe not. But are we really talking about blowing up the organization for four years of KD? Now, this is just me. I'm not a huge Steve Nash as a coach fan. Oh, you see, I love Steve Nash as a coach. Like, as a player, great. But I, I don't know. I I don't feel like he's done anything special well, also, in, in his time in Brooklyn. I also don't think he's been given a very fair opportunity. I mean, Kyrie played what? 27 games. I mean, has he had to deal with difficult personalities as players on his roster? You, 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 yeah, you, you but had, I mean... You had to deal with the soap opera that is James Harden. Yeah. And then, I mean, KD battled multiple injuries last year. He didn't play the whole season. And then Kyrie is Kyrie. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie played less than half of the year. So, I mean... I And I get it, but at the same time... You've gotten so much talent. You, If you are going to win, you have to win with that much talent and find a way for them to mesh and gel together and have but some chemistry. But they didn't play together. They played Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden played 15 games together last season. You can't win with 15 games. The guy hasn't been given a fair opportunity. Yes, you have elite-level talent, but if they aren't all three on the floor together, what good is it? Yeah, but if you've watched other teams, they f- they find ways to win even without. Like, look at the Grizzlies. They had a great record even without their star player. You've seen other teams have at least good or solid enough records to be feasible while their star player is out. Brooklyn, I mean, they still had it, but you've got all the talent and you're still getting eliminated and you get swept by the Celtics in the first round when you were the heavily favored one to begin with. I mean, something's going on and I feel like I'm not huge on Durant, me personally, and I don't want the Celtics to trade for him even though they are still one of the three teams heavily interested in Durant. I think it's easier to just get rid of a coach because remember, this is a player's league at the end of the day. But you're getting rid of a coach and a GM. It's both. The coach, yeah, that that's easy to replace. You have to replace your general manager, too. Yeah. That's a lot. When we're talking the guy who brought in Kevin Durant and brought in Kyrie Irving... And you're just going to ship them out because Durant and Sean Marks got in an argument? You know what I would do? I would just blow it all up. All of it, all of it. 
Get rid of Nash. Trade Kyrie. Trade Durant. And get rid of Sean Marks. Hell, that might be Brooklyn's best option right like, now. Like, just blow everything up. Get rid of Blake, Blake Griffin. Because, I mean, he can't play more than five minutes without having almost an asthma attack. I mean, you might as well just start over from the very jump at this point. Because it, it's just not working. I, I hate tanking, but you're going to have to hit a hard reset. Because oh, you are. It, no matter what you do... Whether you keep Durant and you get rid of your GM and coach, or if you keep them and get rid of Durant, what are you going to do? I mean, it's not like Steve Nash has proved with his his great players being unhealthy and, not, and missing games. They haven't won too many. It's true. So, I mean, no matter what you do, it's going to be probably the wrong decision, so you might as well just get rid of it all and just start no, I, over. I agree with you. That's probably, that's probably Brooklyn's best option right now. Um... Is there a D all the above? Yeah, there need there needs to be. I don't know. I just I've got an issue, and I I get it that it's a players' league and players make the decisions, and you know I I, I get that that's today's NBA. I have an issue with players going to their bosses and giving ultimatums. It's not how the world works. That's not how it works. You don't get to walk into your boss's office because you're pissed off and say it's him or me. Because you know what most bosses would say in 99% of the world's professions? Okay, get out. I mean, that's just it's just what it is. You got a problem, you figure it out, or you go somewhere else. And then the other drama in the NBA, James, you would be able to explain it a little bit better than I could. What is going on between DeJounte Murray and Paolo Bancaro? I mean, looking at it, I saw the video... I think it might have been yesterday. I, th- I think that's when it surfaced of him making a move while Ben Carroll was guarding DeJounte. He throws it off the backboard, dunks it, talks trash, calls him too small by putting his hand low to the floor, calling him a baby, you're too small, and then throwing the ball at him. And I, I was I was kind of baffled. I'm like, whoa, whoa, calm down. Why are you, why are you so upset? Well, we, we kind of got a little more information from DeJounte because he had posted on his Instagram story. And he was saying, you try to flex the number one pick stuff on me when I've been rooting for you when you was a kid asking to rebound for me. Don't get on this internet saying nothing. You changed from the humble kid you always were. And I stand on that stuff, boy. And you know, you made it and you changed and I lost all respect. Stay humble. This life you in now is real and it ain't no joke. I still want to. I still want to see you win, because that's who I am. And then Ben Carroll was saying, so, "Like you, you're getting all upset and you're getting emotional about this. Like, huh? Like, stop double teaming." And that's another thing. We'll come back to it, but I don't understand why young talented players are so against being double teamed. Like, it's a part of the game. What do you like? Going back to that that viral Devin Booker, 
video where he's like, why are you double teaming? We're trying to work on each other's game. You're acting like being double teamed isn't going to help you because whenever you are double teamed, you're going to be more experienced in it and you're going to know how to get your shot up faster and more efficiently and you'll be able to make the shots instead of everybody being like, oh, cool, you're a good ISO player, but as soon as some help defense comes, you suck and you fold. I don't understand the point of that. James Mesh getting heated. I mean, does it not make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. I I, I am with you 100% on that front. Um, the the fact that guys can't handle a double team in the NBA is is an issue. Um, they clearly work on the one on one drills, but apparently not a lot of them are focusing on also having a help defender come when they get whenever they get to the paint, or maybe they get past the first defender and then somebody else comes and I guess they just don't know what to do. They don't have the basketball like you. I guess right. I'm, I'm confused. Why are you so upset about being double teamed? If you've ever played basketball, if you're good enough, you're double team, so accept the respect and just get better. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. Today's show here on a Monday at 4.30, we're going to do Tiger Talk with Wilson Alexander. Today was day five of LSU's fall camp. We'll get Wilson's insights about what went down and you know, kind of what we're looking at in terms of quarterback battle and competition in a couple other positions and then at 5.30, Dusty Thibodeau of the Warhawk Report and the Fun Belt Podcast will join us to give us a preview of the ULM Warhawks, who the Cajuns travel to on September 24th. The poll question of the day. We, you know, we, we just kind of alluded to it. Who do you think will be the LSU starting quarterback? Because there's been some talk on social media today that Jaden Daniels has kind of taken the lead in that competition. Not only is Jaden Daniels taking the lead, but some people believe that Miles Brennan is his lowest third. Not even the backup. He's the backup to the backup. So things could get very interesting over the next couple of weeks. So that's our poll question of the day. Who do you think will be the LSU starting quarterback? Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, Miles Brennan, or Walker Howard up on Facebook and Twitter. So get your votes in. We will talk about that throughout today's show. The game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The red-hot Houston Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles Saturday, August 27th, and this game has major playoff implications, and we want to help you get there. Register in the game clubhouse to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to hit us up on the hotline, 706-0111. If you want to get in on the show, and as always, here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and on 133 for LUS Fiber. Let's take a timeout, and when we return, James and I will talk about the preseason coaches poll that came out today and why, once again, it's a favoritism party of sorts here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros 
Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. It's crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. All right, so I, I got a question. Coach's poll comes out today, and as as usual, it's skewed. Things, things are off. Whatever. Here's question number one. Who in the hell gave a first-place vote to Texas? Who? Who believes that Texas is even remotely close to being the number one team in the country? The only person that that would make sense is Steve Sarkeesian. That's it. To be and, and my follow-up question is how were they 18th? They were five and seven a year ago. They're not a good football team. What Quinn Ewers is supposed to come in and you know resurrect the Longhorns? You know, Sam Ellinger saying we're back. Is, is it going to actually ring true this year? Probably not. And oh, remember a couple weeks ago when Arch Manning committed to Texas and I said, I'll be surprised if that holds up? There's, there's rumblings coming out that that's not going to hold up. Why? Because Texas is Texas. They got a lot of money. They've got a lot of boosters, but it never turns into anything on the field. Hasn't turned into anything on the field in a very long time. What, they have one Sugar Bowl to show for it in the last, you know, 10 years? Like, Texas has been mediocre since Colt McCoy left. They haven't been very good since they got beat by Alabama in the National Championship game. And now, Steve Sarkeesian comes in, gets a couple good quarterback recruits, and people go, oh, look out for Texas. Now, don't get me wrong. They got B. John Robinson, one of the best running backs in the country. But that doesn't make a team. Here's a couple other issues that I have with this, with this poll. Clemson's number four? What? I mean, yeah, they returned a lot of talent, but they weren't that great last year. Notre Dame, number five. Now, don't get me wrong. Does Notre Dame deserve to be in the top ten? Yeah, probably so. But they did just go through a coaching change. So that's intriguing. Um, North Carolina State, 13th. Again, good last year, but who'd you play? 
USC 15, I knew that was going to happen. Lincoln Riley goes there. Caleb Williams goes there. Jordan Addison goes there. Oh, you know, watch out for the Trojans. If anything, I'm shocked they didn't put him in the top 10. You're, you're not wrong. Now, do I think USC is going to be good? Absolutely. Do I think that they're going to win a national championship in the next two years with the talent they have? Maybe. I'm not going to say yes, but I'm going to say maybe. Would I have put them at 15 right off the bat? God, no. No. Outside of those, those are really my biggest question marks. I, I know people are mad that LSU didn't get in. It's the first time since 2000 they weren't featured in the top 25 of the coaches' poll. There's too many question marks. There's way too many question marks. I, I said this to somebody the other day. LSU is a team that there's so many question marks. They could be a 500 team or they could be a playoff team. We don't really know. And then you know, Cajun fans are mad that you know UL didn't get that respect. There, there's a multitude of reasons as to why. For starters, they're a group of five school. Let's let's be one hundred percent frank with ourselves. The only reason that Cincinnati is in the top twenty-five is because they're going to the Big 12 and they were in the playoff last year. That's it. That's the only two reasons that they're in the top 25. Houston, same thing. They're going to the Big 12 and they're projected to be the favorite in that conference this year. In terms of the Cajuns, you lost your head coach. You lost 80% of your staff. You lost quite a few of your key players, including your quarterback. And your division got a little more talented. So there's a lot of reasons as to why the Cajuns wouldn't be in there. I didn't expect Cajuns to be in there in the first place. I didn't expect many G5s. Again, Cincinnati is in there because they were in the playoff a year ago. They were in the playoff a year ago, and they're 22nd in the coaches' poll. That goes to show you the glaring disrespect that G5 schools get in the world of college football. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. T's calling in. T, what's up? Oh, not a whole lot new, bud. Oh, it's a beautiful Monday afternoon. I know, right? That's what you got. Uh, as far as your poll question, um, here's my thing. If uh, Jaden Daniels is the starting QB, that means one thing to me and one thing only. We have no O-line and no running back. What do you think? See, I I disagree. Um, I, I don't know that putting Jaden Daniels as the starter gives that thought process out. I, I think it's just that Jaden Daniels has a better arm than most people give him credit for, and he's a much better runner than any of them. 
I'd agree with that. Uh, arm talent, uh, I think Garrett might be up there with oh, him. Garrett's Garrett's got the most arm talent, but I think right. Jade I think Jaden's got more arm talent than they give him credit for. Okay, all right. Well, that was just my thought on that. But uh, you know, it. I wish it'd be Miles Brennan, but you know, I think he came back because he realized, well, I might not have a professional career, you know, so. Think I'll just stick with LSU where I was recruited and graduated from. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that would be that would be fair. Um, and, and then the the other thing is, and, and and I hate to say this because of how much I respect Miles Brennan, I, I don't think that he's quite the quarterback that many people thought he was. Um, I would totally agree with that. I don't totally. think I don't think but he has panned out quite I mean, like people thought he would. Yeah, I mean, and, and he's a, a great ambassador for LSU. I mean, I mean, he stuck it out and it's six years. So, anyway, all right, guys. Well, love y'all, sure, and keep up the good work, man. Appreciate you, T. Yeah, and and again, I, I I hate saying that because of of how awesome of a guy Miles Brennan you know appears to be. But I, I I just don't think and and injuries have obviously played a factor in that. I just don't think that he's the guy that everyone expected out of high school, and that happens. I mean that's that's the nature of the business. Coaches aren't going to find a gym in every player that they recruit. That it, you know that comes with the territory. But if you ask me. The quarterback battle is down to Garrett Nussmeyer and Jane Daniels, and I think Jane Daniels is winning. That's just my personal opinion. We'll get Wilson Alexander's opinion on the other side for Tiger Talk. You're listening to the game, 103.7 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles is Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score, hit high, hammered to left field, going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals, with the advocates, Wilson Alexander, here is Tiger Talk, on Crunch Time, with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate, it's been a while since we've gotten to talk to you, man, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Matt. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. So let's dive into today's practice, and, and then you know we can kind of talk about camp as a whole up until this point. But today, Wilson, LSU used a different grouping of offensive linemen than they have in, in the past. What did you see out of, out of the O-line today? So this was kind of expected going into practice that it would be different from what we saw even last Thursday just because of the approach that they're taking to try to figure out who's going to start. It was Will Campbell at left tackle, Traymond Shorts at left guard, Garrett Dellinger at center, Miles Frazier at right guard, and Anthony Bradford at right tackle. Um, There's a lot of cross-training going along uh, this offensive line, a number of moving pieces and parts as they try to kind of give everybody a chance and figure out who their best five is. So the line we see when practices open again on Thursday 
might be different than two. Now, look, looking at the the offensive line, you know that's kind of been viewed as one of the bigger question marks of, of this team. You know, through camp so far, what has what has the coaching staff said about the guys on the offensive line? It is the absolute biggest question mark on this team, and it's something that they feel better about the depth that they have there compared to where it was back in the spring because they've had you know a few months to kind of work on some things. They kind of like some of the personnel there um, and the the fight that they've got and, and just the competition that's going on because last year around this time, Brad Davis said later that he was worried about complacency because um, he came in there in the summer and there's a lot of veterans who were kind of stuck in their spot and there wasn't a lot of competition going on. That's not the case this year. There is competition everywhere. Um, Brian Kelly has said he likes the depth that, and that it's improving. Um, but there's still, you know, this is a group that won't have really played much together, like in a, in a, certainly in a live game situation at all. You're going to have a, probably a freshman left tackle and um, some unproven guys on the line that are really going to have to step up. Now, this is this is a little bit unrelated to, you know, camp thus far, but you put out an article on Friday about Kayshawn Butte and how he nearly left LSU due to his injury last season and the coaching staff changes and just the changes throughout the, the program. But he does, he ultimately decided to stay. You know, just kind of talk about that story and, and what went into his decision. Yeah, sure thing. It's interesting, right, because when you look at just Kayshawn's offseason as a whole, it starts with that injury. And though I don't think the injury ended up fitting into – his decision whether or not to stay or leave, it kind of fit into his overall development and, and the how he was had to build trust with this coaching staff. Um, so Kayshawn, you know, said that when he got hurt, he didn't know how to accept that he was hurt. He had never gone through something like that where he, you know, had a season-ending injury. And that sort of, you know, that, hearing him say that, the way he said it, you could tell, like, he kind of, it was he struggled. It was difficult for him. And, you know, he was considering leaving because um, he didn't, you know, he he. The previous staff, that was, the, you know, and any, anybody who recruited him in high school, you know, he had a lot of trust with the, that had built up through that process. And then this new coaching staff comes in, he doesn't know any of these guys. And so he's thinking, all right, I don't, I don't know these people, um, and I, maybe I should leave. And he, he decided, of course, not to do that. Um, it helped that Gordon McKernan came in with an NIL deal that really just made him feel comfortable and just valued as one of the top receivers in college football. He said that ultimately, I asked him about that specifically, did that deal – was that the, the determining factor? And he said, no, it was more about on-field football stuff. Um, Brian Kelly and, and the coach staff was able to, um, you know, sort of ease him, ease his mind in that regard, and, and they were able to build that trust up over the last few months to a point where, you know, once he was feeling better in terms of his recovery from the ankle, um, he, he was just in a better uh, spot uh, to move forward, uh, you know, and continue kind of get back on that path that he was on last fall as one of the best receivers in the game. Now, uh, another we talked about the offensive line. Another big question mark for this team was the secondary. You know, a little bit thin, with especially with Derek Stingley going to the NFL earlier this year. But earlier today, three corners were missing from practice, as well as a couple linebackers and two wide receivers, including Jack Besh. You know, injury-wise, you know, talk kind of talk about where the team's at. They're actually not in a bad spot. So Jack Besh has uh, shin splints. Brian Kelly said last week, and 
Um, he's, you know, we saw him even last Thursday. He wasn't a full participant, but he was off on the side, kind of getting some work in on his own, riding the stationary bike, that kind of thing. And obviously you want to see him get back on the field. He's not there yet, but it sounds like it's something that should be coming soon. Um, Chris Hilton in a similar sort of spot. We don't know the, what he's dealing with, but he's been riding a bike off to the side and that kind of thing during practice. He's still out there and dressed out, just not uh, a full participant. And then at corner, you know, like Jerry Bernard Converse uh, was not doing the media viewing portion of practice, but there's always that caveat with, with those reports is just that we were there for about half an hour. And, and I heard from a source today that uh, Jarek came out later, that he was finishing up a final, uh, and was able to then practice um, just after we we were gone, um, and so they're actually in a pretty decent spot. You know, Demario Tolan is recovering from a disc discectomy, um, and he's out for a little bit. But other than that, they're in pretty decent shape. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate joining us here for Tiger Talk. Now, Wilson, the the quarterback competition, you know. There's been some talk that the coaching staff is working with Jaden Daniels on his footwork to make him a a more consistent passer. But there's a lot of people starting to question whether or not Jaden Daniels has taken the lead in this quarterback battle. What do you think? I think it's still just too early. I mean, we've only gotten through five days of camp, and they haven't even put pads on yet. And that's really when camp is going to get underway. Is they? I think that happened – uh, maybe tomorrow um, is when they'll get pads on, and we'll see them in pads probably for the first time on Thursday. And that's when you're really going to get to start to see maybe some separation take place. At least that's what Brian Kelly is hoping for. That's when they're going to be able to practice more situations, go full 11-on-11, 11 11, um, and put it, run those plays that they've talked about this summer that are designed specifically for these quarterback skill, uh, skill sets and, and designed to highlight their strengths. And then we'll start to get some real separation between them at this point, it's still, I think, too early. You know, you're seeing, yes, Garrett, Nussmeyer, and Jaden take more of the first-team reps during those media viewing portions, but we've seen a total of an hour of practice over five days. And so I don't put a lot into that yet. Um, I think it's going to still take some time here for this some separation to occur at that position. Now, you said that you guys have seen about an hour of practice since camp opened you know who if anybody has has stood out to you while while viewing the team Harold Perkins comes to mind when you ask that he true freshman linebacker and just physically right off the bat last Thursday you could see man this guy is probably ready to play right now I mean in terms of just physicality he's about I think 6'2 and 220 I mean he was standing next to Greg Penn the third who's a sophomore he's been in the program for a year gone through the strength program and everything and they looked about the same and Harold Perkins just got here in the summer and he's also got some props for what he's done just in terms of the film room over the summer and he seems like somebody who um, Brian Kelly said he has a suddenness to him he seems like somebody who could end up playing pretty early if not as a starter it certainly as a key rotational guy uh, they, they like him a lot that five you know five-star linebacker you, you would think maybe could come in and play early and and it looks like he's on track to possibly do that um, and then also just on the offensive line, Emory Jones has kind of maybe stood out as a guy who's at least going to get a chance. Um, you know, it might be too early for him to start uh, in his career right off the bat, but he's going to get a shot to see how he fits in the rotation as well. And then the one other guy I would add is just Makai Garner. He just keeps standing out how big he is as a cornerback. Um, you know, transferred from the Raging Cajuns, and I mean, he's 6'2", like 217. He just looks massive over there among the rest of the corners. Yeah, Makai's a phenomenal player, and I think he's going to fit in 
just fine in that LSU secondary. Now, in terms of recruiting, big news over the weekend for the Tigers, as Shelton Sampson Jr., one of the top wide receivers in the country, committed to the Tigers over Florida State and Alabama. You know, hometown being being a big factor, but some other thing. What else do you think maybe went into that decision for for Shelton Sampson to stay home? Yeah, he actually mentioned that the Shelton stays hashtag movement on Twitter. Um, LSU's been using this uh, tactic, um, getting just lots of their own players and other commits to tweet little hashtags about guys who they're hoping to commit. He actually said that that sort of helped play into it a little bit. But it ultimately, you know, it was sort of like, you know, why not? I mean, I'm from Baton Rouge. I've always he grown up going to LSU games and uh, goes to Catholic and ultimately – um, he just viewed it as the best opportunity to stay, you know, home and, and play for his hometown team. And it was really pivotal for LSU to get that because there's been a lot of in-state guys going elsewhere in this cycle for just a number of reasons. I mean, some of them you knew they were probably going to leave, like Arch Manning and Eli Holstein, even Tackett Curtis, a linebacker, Jaden Osbury, uh, another linebacker, all seemed like they were headed out of state. But it was really crucial for them to win a really big in-state battle like Shelton. Lastly, Wilson, you know, in, in the next week ahead, what kind of availability are you guys going to have in, in terms of practice, and what are you guys looking forward to? Yeah, we're going to get to talk to players tomorrow. Uh, and then Thursday is a completely open practice for, for us in Tiger Stadium. Um, going to get to watch that entire thing, and I'm looking forward to, you know, like we are talking about the quarterbacks and that kind of thing, seeing how they do in 11-on-11, 11 11, who starts to step up and assert themselves as the guy. Um, also just continue to see what we see on the offensive line. And, and then the one, those one-on-ones uh, between corners and, and the receivers and also on the defensive line, who steps up there. We know this defensive line is supposed to be pretty good. Um, kind of see what they do in, a, in an 11-on-11 period and some full contact stuff. Uh, should all be pretty revealing as we start to head kind of deeper into camp when things should really begin to, to show themselves as to who's going to be a contributor on this team. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us for Tiger Talk. Wilson, appreciate you taking the time each and every Monday. Looking forward to doing it each week throughout the football season, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Absolutely. Talk to you all soon. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Welcome back into Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The University of Oklahoma has announced that longtime wide receivers coach Kale Gundy resigned yesterday after it was revealed that he used inappropriate language in a film study. So the story is, is that they were having a film session and players were supposed to take notes. Player was distracted by something on his iPad. So Coach Gundy pulls, you know, the middle school teacher move, grabs the iPad and reads aloud what was distracting said player. And supposedly there was a derogatory term in whatever was being read. Now... Here, here's where things get interesting with that, though, is that multiple players and even former players have come out and said nobody was mad about it. They asked coach for coach asked them for forgiveness. Everybody had moved on from it. 
So the question that a lot of people are asking is, was this truly the reason he was forced to resign? So Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma and things start slowly going up in shambles? I mean, James, when you have former running backs, a.k.a. I'm just going to come out and say his name, Joe Mixon, posting on social media that, you know, the, the reports couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, what do you what do you make of that? It's obviously something that's going on behind closed doors that we just don't know about, and they're just using the inappropriate language as an excuse. So this is the this is the social media post from Joe Mixon. It says, Coach Gundy is everything OU and any institution would want in a coach, teacher, and mentor. He's caring, thoughtful, intelligent, smart, funny, experienced, philanthropic, humble, and selfless. If not for Coach Gundy, I would not have attended OU, survived at OU, stayed at OU, and succeeded in life after OU. Most importantly, Coach Gundy is not, and I repeat, is not a racist in any way, nor has a racist bone in his body, mind, or soul. Coach Gundy is the farthest thing from this type of person. I spent every day for the thousand days I was in Norman with him, and I never saw anything that would lead anyone to believe this or think this. So you've got, and then he goes on to say, in conclusion, I offer my highest support and admiration for Coach Gundy and will be extremely disappointed with the school, the program, and the administrators if he is not allowed to continue as a coach at the university going forward. So, I think that there's something under the surface going on here. And uh, I'm in, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out, right? Because, you know, again, Kale Gundy's a longtime coach. He's got people in his corner. And this whole thing just kind of blew up. Now, granted, uh, it, it was... If what was said is truly what was said, is that right? Not at all. I just, I, I don't think all the facts, and, and this is obvious in a lot of cases, right? I don't think all the facts are being presented. Um, I think the story is, is somewhat maybe being painted in a light to make the university look a little bit better. And make coach look a little bit worse. So it, it's it's another it's another scapegoat situation. It's, it's very where it's it's not necessarily him, but they're using him as the pawn, right. so that way the university as a whole and the program doesn't look as bad. It's very Brian Harson esque, except Brian Harson didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But you know, also another thing that we're gonna have to get to in hour number two. Jameis Winston, did he hurt his ankle or did he hurt his foot? Because I'm not sure that they know. Because at first it was the ankle and now they're saying it's the foot. 
And the story is that it's not major. But obviously, you never want your starting quarterback to leave training camp with any kind of injury. So it's not great news for the Saints. Um, We'll keep you updated on that also in terms of the New Orleans Saints. Quickly, they have announced the passing of former offensive lineman Darren Gilbert. He was a second-round draft choice by the Saints in 1985, played 43 career games with 11 starts for the team. He was also a part of the Saints' first winning season and first playoff team. He passed away today at the age of 58. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. On the other side, you're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Hour number two, crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 502 here on your Monday. That means you made it through Monday and you're probably on your way home by now. Good for you. I've been instructed by the producer extraordinaire that I need to use some sound that that he so tirelessly and and devotingly cut up for us. So well, I didn't use it Friday. Yeah, I, we had a lot to talk about Friday, and it just kind of slipped through the cracks. But that's okay, because it's still good. So we'll we'll do it now. I want you to hear what the coaches and players had to say. We'll do it now. Michael Desermo spoke to the media on Thursday last week with report day. This is where he stands on the quarterback competition. Computer's not working at the moment. Okay. So we will hold off on audio then. I don't know what's wrong with it. Poll question of the day. Who do you think will be the LSU starting quarterback? So far... 60% 60% say Miles Brennan, 30% say Garrett Nussmeyer, and 10% say Jaden Daniels. You know, Miles Brennan seems like the obvious choice, especially on paper, given his his history. I think I figured it out. Did you? Yeah. Uh, someone, I think you can guess who, deleted all the all the sound. Lovely. Yes. So, never mind. Don't have this. We don't have the Cajun sound. Lovely. Do we have Saints sound? We do have the Saints sound that I had cut up last night. Okay. Well, then let's quickly go from the vermilion and white to the black and gold. Let's start with Dennis Allen talking about his thoughts on the first two weeks of camp. Overall thoughts are we still have a long way to go. There's a lot of things that we have to get better at. There's still a ton of evaluation that has to take place. We're making progress, which is a positive, 
but man, we, we, we still have a long way to go before we start you know, trying to come up with a real evaluation of exactly who we are getting into this season. But I like the way our guys are competing. Dennis Allen also spent some time talking about the red zone work that his offense has, has put in. Number one, I like working the situations. And I like seeing guys have to think about the things that they're seeing in a certain situation. And, and the plays that we call, you know, you have to execute those differently whether it's first and 10 in the red zone, whether it's third down in the red zone, different than how you might execute those same plays out in the field. So I think that's been good. I think the execution overall on both sides of the ball has been has been good. And I think you've seen some back and forth between each group, and, and I think that's good. He also talked about the versatility of the Saints secondary with guys like Chauncey Gardner, Johnson, Tyron Matthew, and Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah, I think it's been I think it's been good up to this point. You know, I think there is a lot of versatility in the guys that we've seen. We've seen PJ Williams playing back there. We've seen Marcus May playing back there. We've seen Justin Evans playing back there. You know, obviously JT Gray, Daniel Sorensen, you know, now Tyron Matthews back. Like there's a lot of guys there that bring something to the table. And so it's an interesting competition that we have. And I think all of them have stepped up to the plate to this point. Ryan Nielsen is currently serving as a Saints co-defensive coordinator with Chris Richard, and he spent some time talking about sharing that role and those responsibilities. Well, I've known Chris for a long time, and he's a fantastic person and a fantastic coach, and so that makes it easy. And so, you know, I'll bounce a lot of things off of him. He's had a lot of success doing it already, and so it's a smooth, it's been easy He's had a lot of input and a lot of insight in what we're doing. And I'm, I'm happy he's here. I'm appreciative that he's here. And he comes to work every day and he brings a, a perspective of, you know, just getting better, you know, and that's awesome. He also spent some time talking about his new safety, the Honey Badger Tyron Matthew. Oh, he's done great. You know, we, you know we're just going through the, the proper progression and getting right back to play. But he's all in. He's a really smart player. You can see him kind of getting in our defense and and really understanding where he fits in and and where he can make plays. So uh, he's doing a great job. I'm I'm so fired up he's here. Uh, He is awesome. Ball of energy. I mean, he is all in. So really very happy to have him here. All right, James, let's talk about the Houston Astros now. 70 and 40 through 110 games. They have an 11-game lead in the AL West. They're half a game back of having the best record in baseball. However, they're riding a two-game losing streak. They have been on an interesting run as of late. So you beat the Yankees, you swept the Mariners. That's how you came back from the All-Star break, riding high on a five-game win streak. Then you get swept by the A's. And then you win three out of four against the Mariners again. And then you only win one out of three against the Red Sox. And now you just split with the Guardians. And the two games that you lost to the Guardians, you had no offense whatsoever. None. Yesterday, two hitter. Both hits coming in the second inning. I would know. I watched the whole game. Because it was on Peacock yesterday. And I was excited that I actually got to watch an Astros game. So I watched the whole thing. And it was 
rough, to say the least. However, Friday night's game was a lot of fun. Trey Mancini, two homers, including a grandy. His first career Grand Slam. Drove in five runs to beat the Guardians 9-3. to And then Saturday, I, it, everything just went cold. So, James, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think that it's because maybe the MLB has figured the Astros out? Or do you think they're just going through you know, one of those stretches? I think it's a slump because have you already figured someone out when you didn't figure them out before the break and now they got a whole bunch of new players? To me, that to me, you somehow figuring that I'm out, that's not very likely. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's the case. Um but but it is an interesting an interesting topic of conversation. It's definitely something No doubt because you're to you're, look at. You're playing five hundred baseball with five hundred baseball teams. Right. It's it's not optimal by any stretch of the imagination. No. No, it's not. Um Looking at, taking a look at the MLB stat leaders, Paul Goldschmidt leading the batting average conversation at 332. Aaron Judge still leading the home run conversation, but he hasn't left 43. The Yankees struggling lately. Aaron Judge also leads the RBI conversation at 97. Freddie Freeman leading the league in hits with 136. On base percentages, Paul Goldschmidt at 415. Slugging percentages, Aaron Judge at 669, with Jordan Alvarez behind him at 638. Jordan Alvarez is also third in on base percentage at 407, and he is third in the home run battle with 30. Looking at pitchers, I mean, what more can you say than Justin Verlander? He's the only pitcher with 15 wins. The next closest is 13. Two guys on the Dodgers have 13. He leads the league in ERA at a 1.73. A 1.73 in 18 decisions. That is insanely impressive from Justin Verlander, who again, in case you haven't heard, is 39 years old and is a year removed from Tommy John surgery. I I don't know whether it's from myself or from the national baseball media if you haven't heard that enough. But Justin Verlander is going to win a Cy Young Award at the age of 39, coming off of Tommy John. I don't know that you will ever see that again. I saw that the odds of Verlander winning the AL Cy Young today went from plus 100 to minus 125. James, you think he might be just a little bit of a favorite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely more than a little. I mean, dude, you you, you got to lay down one hundred and twenty five dollars to make a hundred. 
that's rough. I mean, again, you look at the numbers, a 1.73 ERA, he's got 15 wins, he's striking out guys at, at a high percentage. I, I he's, just, he's, I at the, he's, at, he's at the top or near the top of so many of the pitching categories. Oh, yeah. I mean, you ha- he has to be the favorite. He's second in walks and hits per inning pitched. I mean, behind Shane McClanahan. I just it's it, it's impressive what what he has been able to do so far this season. And Justin Verlander has always been, or at least in his time in Houston, where he gets a little bit better as the season wears on. So we'll see what happens there with the Astros. They do return to action tomorrow after getting the night off. Tonight they will host the Texas Rangers at Minute Maid Park. Jose Arquiti going for the Astros 10-4 and on the year with a 3.62 ERA in 114 and a third innings, while Martin Perez will go for the Rangers 9-2 and with a 2.47 ERA and 131 innings pitched for the Rangers. Once again, game is at 7-10, which means Robert Ford and Steve Sparks will come to you at 6-40 with the pregame show. Michael Brantley, there's still many, many question marks about where he is at in his recovery. Uh, According to Astros general manager James Click, He wasn't able to commit Sunday to Brantley being able to return from the 10-day IL before the end of the season. He said, we hope he will return in 2022, but with every passing day, you have to kind of take an honest look at it. Now, here's the problem. The injury that he is dealing with is, is a very interesting shoulder injury. But the issue that the Astros are going to run into is that Michael Brantley is 35 years old. In baseball, that's that's up there. Okay? A shoulder injury at that age is far from ideal. Could we have seen the last of Michael Brantley? I hope not. But sometimes you kind of have to sit here and go, well, what if we didn't? So again, he, he's been out the last month, and right now nobody in the Astros organization can definitively say when he's going to be back. He could be back in two weeks. He could be back in two months. Nobody really knows. Southside High School, their band and football program's third annual Shark Frenzy is this coming Saturday from 6 to 10 p.m., The money raised at this event will be used to fund the operation of both the band and football team, which includes travel expenses, equipment, instruments, helmets, shoulder pads, and more. Attendees will enjoy dinner, drinks, music, dart games, live and silent auctions, and more. To buy tickets for Southside High School's third annual Shark Frenzy, simply visit shssharkfrenzy.weebly.com, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. Once again, this Saturday, 6 to 10 at the Youngsville Sports Complex. 
take a timeout right here on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. And when we return, James and I will talk a little bit more NFL. And then at 5.30, Dusty Thibodeau of the Warhawk Report will join us to give you a preview of the Warhawks before the Cajuns head to Monroe on September the 24th. You're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 8th, 1984. American Carl Lewis wins his third gold medal of the Los Angeles Olympics, joining Kirk Baptiste and Thomas Jefferson in an American sweep of the 200-meter relay. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time with the Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 521 here on your Monday. James, I've seen a conversation going around social media and I couldn't figure out the right time to bring it up or the right way to address it. But but our, our guy Chris Rosevaglu posted about it and you know now I, I've kind of figured out how I want to go about this conversation. So it's pretty obvious that as it stands right now, Michael Thomas is, is not viewed in the eyes of the national media as a top ten wide receiver which is somewhat fair considering he hasn't played in a year and a half ish. But you know, hear, hear me out. So one of the big reasons why people don't believe that he'll be a top 10 receiver this year is because they're unsure of who his quarterback is going to be. They know it's going to be James Winston, but what, what James Winston. Okay. But then they're going to sit there and say that Gino, that DK Metcalf is going to be a top 10 receiver. That dude's got Geno Smith and Drew Locke on his depth chart. But that guy's a top 10 receiver? See, 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 what, see the point I'm trying to get at? All you have to have is good measurables and a good 40-yard dash, and you're instantly a top 10. It doesn't matter. Like you could be physical freak of nature, but if you can't, if your route tree is limited, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're still a top ten just because you're athletically very good. But whereas with Michael Thomas, he could run any route on the route tree, just good if not better than DK. But because he's not as fast and he's not as explosive and not as flashy, but you he, see, he's not as good. But you see, the part that I find the funniest about this is they're saying that Michael Thomas won't be a top ten receiver. Because they don't know what type of quarterback he's going to have. Yeah, but yet DK is going to be a top ten receiver with either Geno or Drew Locke. It's it's nationwide scrutiny against Jameis Winston, but they're totally fine with talking about Drew Locke or Geno Smith being a feasible option at QB. I mean, you're you're you've got to be kidding me. Like you you don't think Jameis is that bad? There's no way. Everybody points at the thirty interception season. 
okay. He also had 5,200 yards and 33 touchdowns. And even look at last year. The percentage, the completion percentage wasn't great, but it was a 14 to 3 touchdown interception ratio. And if you have the trajectory continue, he's throwing 40 touchdowns, over 40 touchdowns to 10 or less interceptions. You're telling me you wouldn't want that as your QB? Yeah. Like, what? His completion percentage last year was. It was 59. 59%. So yeah, that's not great. But it's not the worst. It's not the worst. You also have to remember Marquez Callaway is the wide receiver one. Well. You now get Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and Chris, Chris Olave as your three starting wide receivers. Yeah. And you have Taysom Hill, who's not going to be a quarterback. He's going to be more of a receiving option or a blocking option. And you option. see, that's the craziest thing that people really need to let sink in. Your wide receiver one last year is going to be wide receiver four this year. Like, he won't be on the field for half the snaps. Let that sink in. This is going to be a much different Jameis Winston than I think anybody has seen in his time in the NFL. I can't tell you a time that Jameis Winston has ever had weapons like this. I mean, yeah, a couple of years that he was in, in Tampa, you had Mike Evans, and you had a, a little bit of time with Chris Godwin. But Godwin wasn't what he is now. Godwin wasn't what he is now. He didn't have Leonard Fournette at the time. You had a Ronald Jones who, who's his whole a, career a, a struggled young, to be on the field. A young and unproven Ronald Jones. He had O.J. Howard who's okay. been an overall uh, – I, I wouldn't even say okay. He's He has not been much of a receiving option. Um, he he didn't have weapons in Tampa. You and Mike Evans, that was it. And, I mean, if you only got one guy, it's pretty easy for the defense to figure it out. Hey, double that guy and make somebody else beat you. Exactly. So, you know, Jameis has never had the weapons in his NFL career that he is going to have this year. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying James Winston's going to win MVP. I know James likes to make that joke. Every now and again. Comeback player of the year? Might not be far-fetched. It's not far-fetched at all. Because tell me, if a guy who got injured not even halfway into the season last year, big ACL tear, everybody's talked about it all offseason. He comes back the next year, throws for 4,500 yards, 34 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions, and, and leads... His team to a playoff run, and they maybe win the first game in the playoffs and make it to the division run. I mean, we are we are talking about a guy, James, outside of his two seasons in New Orleans, where he's played in eleven games in those two years. Let's look at his five years in Tampa. Okay, the least amount of games that he played was eleven. Only started nine of them. In those 11 games, he threw for 3,000 yards. Are his interception numbers great? No. They have never been great. 15, 18, 11, 14, 30. He's always had an interception problem in the NFL. 
Drew had a lot of interceptions. Drew's had a lot of interceptions. Drew people, is Drew is up there on the interceptions list, and no one talks about people it. People don't like to talk about that. Drew threw a lot of picks too. You were om- as much as we all love Drew Brees. Drew Brees was almost guaranteed one pick a game, on average. Yeah, because that he would throw for three thirty. He throw for two or three touchdowns. Congrats! But there would be but the he, one at one point where yep. he gets a little too aggressive, and he. He throws an interception, but as soon as Jameis Winston does it, it's always oh, he's terrible. He's the worst quarterback. Get him out of here. And I, I'll keep going back to it. Jameis, he has done everything outside of the field and even inside of the field to show that he's looking to improve. Like, look at it. He changed his diet. I don't completely agree with the exact diet that he's doing, but hey, he's changing it. He got married. He got a kid. He got LASIK eye surgery to fix his eye problem because people were saying, like, he obviously couldn't read a defense. He, he went, obviously had struggles seeing the colors and seeing who was on a team and who wasn't. He went back and got his degree. Have you seen the videos? I know he's got silly workout regimens. People like to make fun of that as well. But have you seen what he's done and the leader that he is and the speeches that he's had with his players and his receivers? No, I I know. Pe- people want to sit here and, and act like Jameis Winston hasn't, you know, made significant strides over the last 18 months. Like, just watch the first game last year against Green Bay. Everyone was saying he's only looking deep. He's only looking deep. He's only looking to throw the deep bomb because he doesn't know how he doesn't know how to be patient. Or check down or throw it away if the play's not there and he just forces everything. Just go watch the Packers game, the first game. He at times was, he waited, he waited, he waited. He didn't get too antsy. And at the last minute, he was like, it's not there. I'm not going to force it. Throws it away. That shows improvement. Or throw it to his check down. Exactly. Yep. I I think Jameis Winston's going to go off this year. And I get it. Some people are like, I need to see it before I need you to prove it to me before I'm willing to hop on the train. I'm with that some things as well, but I've been on the train since last year with Jameis. You can hop on late. Cool. You can be in the caboose. Yep. The Arneville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a Black Pot Cook-Off Saturday, September the 10th. The cooking begins at 8 a.m. and the eating will start at noon at the Flower Auditorium in Arneville. There will also be plenty of live music from G- Gerald Grunig and Gentilly Zydeco, Dustin Saunier, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information, visit www.arnavillefire.org. Let's take a time out when we return. Dusty Thibodeau of the Warhawk Report will join us to talk about the ULM Warhawks and the job that head coach Terry Bowden is doing as they look to build off of that 4-8 and eight season from a year ago. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for The Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back. 
crunch time with me guys a mesh right here on the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana sports station in your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros matt me guys james mesh 536 here on your monday afternoon we move to week four in the cajuns schedule and it is the Sunbelt Conference opener for the Cajuns as they will travel to Malone Stadium in Monroe to take on the Warhawks of ULM. Dusty Thibodeau of Warhawk Report and the Funbelt Podcast joining us to talk about the Warhawks. Dusty, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you this afternoon? Yeah, thanks for having me. Always good to uh, start having these talks because that means that we are getting close to kicking off another season. Absolutely. We'll start with last year, you know, 4-8, and eight. In year one for Terry Bowden, two and six in the Sun Belt. Couple of big wins though over Jackson State as well as Liberty, and then you know you re- you really hung in there with both LSU and the Cajuns. Just kind of talk about last season and how it was a much needed improvement after going winless in 2020. Yeah, it was a great season, actually, to have the four wins. Frustrating, though, when you look at it, that three games were decided by a score or less, and, and there's just something about the snake bit Warhawks there that they can't get over the hump. That even if you assume you could have won two of those games, you're looking at six and six, a good first-year head coach of Terry Bowden. That's got to be a good feel-good story to get into the, the bowl games, but it didn't happen. With that said, though, a turnover of coaching staff, turnover of the roster, and the Warhawks are really looking up this upcoming year. I really think, though, that you can kind of forget about last year in being a rebuild for the Warhawks. This is kind of years, year one of that rebuild. But what a way to do it when they have a great quarterback battle there of Chandler Rogers and Jara Wright at the quarterback position. That's where it all starts on offense. And then, obviously, at the wideout position, everyone's favorite name there, Boogie Knight, at the receiver position. A solid offensive line, a pretty good defensive line, and the Warhawks should have some pieces to, to make a little bit of noise. This probably will not be their year in the Sunbelt Conference, but another three, four-win season, pretty impressive from, from where they've been. You know, you brought up Boogie Knight, and then you also t- hit on the the quarterback competition. I mean, Chandler Rogers having such a great year last year, both in the air and with, with his feet. You know, it, it's hard to imagine him losing that spot. Talk about the quarterback battle and kind of where they sit right now. Yeah, as you said, last year Chandler Rogers just over 1,600 yards passing, 10 touchdowns. Uh, Jara Wright limited in action, three touchdowns, about 300 yards passing. But Chandler was really able to step in when Rhett Rodriguez, who was the starter going into last season, went down with injury. And you didn't notice, uh, if anything, the offense got better under Chandler Rogers. And, and I really feel that this battle between Rogers and Jara Wright, it's really a 1A, 1B. There's not a wrong answer. There's probably a, maybe a little bit better of an answer, but there's not a wrong answer in that battle. Talk to me about you know the, the skill players. You hit on Boogie Knight, but there's a couple of young receivers coming in, especially via the transfer portal. Just kind of talk about the running backs as well as the wide receivers for this offense. Yeah, one of the receivers I'm anxious to see, he's been on campus, was kind of a, a blue shirt, gray shirt, whatever color shirt they put on him last year. Jalen Jackson out of Kennesaw State, Powder Springs, Georgia. A big 6'2", just tall, lanky kid. Good speed, good hands, knows how to go up and attack. And, and for all the Cajun fans out there, he really reminded me a lot of Ladarius Green, of just kind of that build of 
he, he he's a thick receiver that that knows how to go out and attack the ball. So I'm excited about seeing him. I like Garrett Common at the tight end as well. I feel that uh, a local kid there at Western Road made the shift over from quarterback to that position after having some shoulder issues. Anxious to see kind of how he can do at that position. And then, of course, the return of Andrew Henry after uh, an injury-plagued season last year at the running back position. Anxious to see what he can do. He was a uh, All-American when he was in junior college two years ago at Trinity Valley Community College. But as I said, injury-plagued season last year really kept him sidelined. And then, of course, Malik Jackson also at the running back position, a kid all the way from uh, Opelika, Alabama, taking over the, the running back duties there at Malone. Chat with Dusty Thibodeau of the Fun Belt Podcast and the Warhawk Report. Talk to me about th- this defense. You know, Travion Webster was your leading tackler last year, but he does not return. Jabari Johnson is one guy that was up there that returns this season. Just kind of talk about the defense. Who's back from last year? Who's stepping up? Yeah, with a new defensive coordinator, Vic Coning, it's going to be interesting to see really what this defense comes out and looks like. You have somebody like Quay Drake that played in all 12 games last year um, and was fourth on the team with 56 tackles. So he's he's got the pieces to be able to uh, really make some noise at Sunbelt Conference Media Days. Zach Woodard at the linebacker position, another guy that transferred in from Jacksonville State. I think the weakness of the, the defense is maybe the defensive front, but it still hasn't even really been decided if that's going to be a three- or four-man front. If they go with four, I think the bulk of bodies will really help mask that weakness of the defense. But the linebackers are secondary, headlined by those guys, are, are really going to be the indicators of how successful this defense can be. Now, talk to me about the job Terry Bowden's done. I mean, I know this is only going into year two, but again, taking a winless program, coming back as to a head coaching position, and you know, a, a four-game improvement from the year before. What's what's next for this program? Yeah, I, I feel that he's really had to build, as you said, a program. It's not just coming in and rebuilding the football team. It is building a true program top to bottom from fundraising, facilities, culture, everything. And, and, and so that's why I think that last year he didn't really get to put his fingerprints on the program yet. This year he is getting to, and so that's why I said this year is really his first year of really getting to build the program from ground up. It's got a long way to go, but I feel that this year's team and the success that was there last year without the support is really giving them the program momentum to start moving forward. Looking at the schedule, the Warhawks open at Texas, and then they come back to Malone to host Nichols before going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. Brutal start to the schedule, you know, but if you go down into the, the Sun Belt, Arkansas State, South Alabama, Texas State, Southern Miss, and even Georgia State seem like some winnable games for, for the Warhawks. What do you make of the schedule? Yeah, I mean, you just really got to escape the, those first three weeks in particular healthy to give your – Give yourself a chance on week four when you open up the games that truly do matter there, um, beginning right out of the gate there with the Raging Cajuns. You know, held to the Chiefs till the Chief dies. There's still some Sunbelt Conference champs, still winners of 13 straight. So that that's definitely no easy task there within those first four weeks. I, I like the home portion of the schedule, though, getting the likes of the Cajuns in Coastal Carolina at home. I do feel that 
the latter part of the, the schedule does ease up just a little bit there with Texas State, Troy, and Southern Miss to close out the season. But, you know, I, I think the health, because we just don't know how deep this Warhawks team is going to be, that if they do have some injuries, what is that team really going to look like? Yeah, you know, that that's kind of the interesting question, um, especially like you talked about earlier with Terry Bowden having to build a program you know, you might not have quite the depth that he might wish that that you do. You know, how, talk, lastly, my last question is, how do you feel he's attacked the transfer portal in terms of getting new faces and depth into this roster? Yeah, he's done a pretty good job. You look up and down the roster and, and you'll see a slew of players, not necessarily a lot, though, from the FBS programs with some coming in from Harding University, Junior colleges obviously dotted with you know some some uh, P5s of uh, Cal and Oklahoma on there, but for the most part, he's looked for guys that were really just under recruited and should not have been at those smaller programs to begin with. And then, of course, going the traditional route of the junior colleges to just maintain those pipelines more than anything for future as he continues to build the program. Dusty Thibodeau of Warhawk Report and the Fun Belt Podcast joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Dusty, really appreciate you taking the time. Tell our listeners where they can find your work with both the Fun Belt Pod and Warhawk Report. Warhawk Report on Twitter, Warhawk underscore report, as well as warhawkreport.com. Uh, covering the Sun Belt as well with Fun Belt Podcast. We have a lot of fun with that on our weekly show. It's available wherever you can get uh, your podcast and as well as being online on Twitter at FunBeltPC. Really appreciate you taking the time, Dusty, and we'll talk to you again as the season gets underway. Sounds great. Thank you. There he goes, Dusty Thibodeau of Warhawk Report and the FunBelt Podcast. Quickly, before we take our final timeout of the day, 2022 Sunbelt title odds. James, quickly... We will we will look at a couple of these, and you tell me if you would bite on it. Okay. So first, let's do Coastal Carolina plus five hundred. Mm, I, I feel like I would lean more towards App State, but I think a close second would be Coastal. Marshall's plus four twenty five. Marshall's wow. Uh. That's close. I, I don't feel too. I wouldn't feel too great about that one. How about the Cajuns plus three hundred? And this this is to win the whole Sun Belt, correct? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I I think it'll take at least a year for Coach Dez for them to revamp and come back. App State is the favorite at plus two fifty. Yeah, I, I gotta believe. I gotta believe it's App Coastal. Your long shot? How about UL Monroe at plus twenty thousand? Wow! <laughs> now, if that if that somehow happens, whoever bets it, you just made I mean, some God, money. Even, even put a dollar on it. That's what I'm saying. Like just throw throw something on it, because man, if they if they come out of the woodworks and and win the whole thing, I mean, a dollar on plus twenty thousand that would get you what two hundred? Yeah. A dollar would win you two hundred. That's easy. 
That is easy money. A couple other odds of note. Troy plus 1,000. Georgia State plus 1,200. South Alabama plus 1,600. Texas State and Old Dominion sitting at plus 7,000. The Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cyber's Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The only way to score these great prizes is by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse. It's very simple to do that, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Not to mention, we already said it's simple. It's also free. So go sign up today. It's free, it's easy to do, and you win stuff? Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Take our final time out of the day, wrap up today's show on the other side, and get you set for tomorrow. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back into Crunch Time with me, guys, Mesh. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 555. Got a couple minutes left before we hit the road on this Monday afternoon. How about the Acadiana King Cutters? They've been in the Texas Collegiate League for 12 years, and they finally won the TCL title, defeating the Victoria Generals 6-5 to Saturday night to win the TCL championship. They consistently came back each time they were down, and just what a remarkable performance by their coaches and their players. You know, it's always fun to watch college players get together for the summer like they do in the Texas Collegiate League. So congratulations to the Acadiana Cane Cutters for winning their first ever TCL championship. Final update on the poll question, who do you see being LSU's starting quarterback? So far, 53.3% of you say Miles Brennan, 33.3% say Garrett Nussmeyer, only 13.3% say Jaden Daniels. That's intriguing because I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to be Miles Brennan, but out of Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, it's really a toss-up. Personally, I think it's going to be Jaden Daniels, but I've been wrong before, and I could very well be wrong again. I want to take this opportunity to thank Wilson Alexander of The Advocate for joining us for Tiger Talk here on this Monday, as well as Dusty Thibodeau of the Fun Belt Podcast and Warhawk Report for joining us for an inside look at the ULM Warhawks. Tomorrow's show... How about a To the Moon Tuesday? We're going to talk everything Houston Astros. We're also going to give you an update on today's action in Cajuns camp as well as the LSU Tigers. And we'll even talk the McNeese Cowboys. We got an update from their camp today, so we will we will update you on that as well. For the producer extraordinaire, James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez reminding you to be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we will see you tomorrow. 
four to six right here on these airwaves. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.